The Australian Grand Prix is back this weekend. The race where the Formula One season had to stop in 2020 due to the global pandemic and then it was postponed in 2021 with travel restrictions and then 2022 when it came back, won by Charles Leclerc and Ferrari. Returns to Albert Park for 2023 and we're going to preview this weekend's Grand Prix in Melbourne including our five things to watch out for. We'll take a look at the circuit and then top five and bottom five from Saudi Arabia. It's all coming up on the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Dazuri. Glad you could be with us. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already if you're a new listener give us a chance and see if you'd like it and if you like it please subscribe and share with your friends as we continue to grow our third season here at the overtake f1 podcast i'm a little late with this one i'm on location in houston texas uh, covering the final four the men's basketball championship but nevertheless excited for this weekend as we head to round three of the season a season that has been dominated by red bull racing the australian grand prix is one of my favorite events of the weekend that and japan because of the time that I get to watch it. Now, I get up in the morning for the races in Europe and I, you know, will get up at seven o'clock, six o'clock, wherever the races are, I'll, I'll wake up and watch them. But the Australian Grand Prix and the Japanese Grand Prix are two races in which I watch them at midnight and I get them at midnight. So I love it because the house, I do the full day and I do the errands and I watch whatever sporting events on TV. And then I sort of settle in family goes to sleep and I stay up, grab a couple of snacks, hang out, get up, get a nice quiet room and settle in and watch the Australian Grand Prix. And the same thing with the Japanese Grand Prix. So I always like that. It's a, it's a little different for me not to have to get up super early and I get to kind of carry it into one thirty, two o'clock. It kind of reminds me when I was a kid and my parents would let me stay up to watch Saturday night live back in the day. But I always like it because it's a it's a cool time. It's a cool thing to look forward to all day is to stay up and watch the races in Australia and then later on in the season in Japan. All right, so let's get right to it. The five things to watch for at Albert Park and the Australian Grand Prix coming up this weekend. Number one on my list, and that's going to be the Red Bull driver dynamic. Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez have won the first two races of the season. Verstappen does lead the world championship because he was able to get the fastest lap at Jeddah after Perez thought that both drivers were driving to a certain pace at the end. Now, Verstappen said afterwards he was not happy with finishing second. Remember, he started 15th because of problems in Q2. This is what all drivers say. None of them like to finish second, unless you're in a car that can't finish first because you're not capable of being... You know, winning the Grand Prix, you'd be happy with the second place. But that's not Verstappen, obviously. He's a two-time world champion. He's got the most dominating car on the grid. So when he finishes second, he's not too thrilled. But Sergio Perez is certainly thrilled because right now they are neck and neck in the Drivers' Championship after two races, and they both are going to be racing for the title. That's been clear by Red Bull that these drivers are free now to race for this championship. Now, let's put the brakes on it a little bit, and if we're anticipating that Checo and Verstappen are going to be battling neck and neck all through the season, sort of like Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton in 2016, this is, may not be the case because Verstappen finished second in a race he started 15th. And Sergio Perez has started to get a handle on this car that is designed for Verstappen. Now, this might be interesting down the down the road, but Verstappen is such a dominating talent that I got to believe that if he somehow got into Q3 Saturday and started on the front row or maybe started third, he would have won this Grand Prix. So I want to put the brakes on a little bit, thinking that there's some sort of back and forth. There might be. And believe me, no one would be happier than me if Verstappen and Checo are going neck and neck all season long. Nobody would be. 
There, I, I need that to happen because of the interest, not only in this podcast, but some of my friends who are loving Formula One maybe two years ago are starting to wane because they're starting to see that these races are being dominated by one team. So nothing would make me happier than to see Perez and Verstappen go head to head all season long for the remainder of the year. I just think we need to slow down a little bit because there were extreme circumstances. We're not going to see Verstappen starting 15th every single Grand Prix weekend. So I think we need to slow that down a little bit. But nevertheless, remember, these two have a little bit of history, right? They were buddy-buddy in 2021, the final race of the season at Abu Dhabi when Hamilton had the lead and then he got behind Sergio Perez and Perez defended him so well, it allowed Verstappen to close the gap. Remember the radio message, Checo's a legend. And they were just, as a team, they worked to get Verstappen that championship. But 2022, we saw the incident in Monaco that Verstappen held against Perez all the way to Brazil. Then he wouldn't let Perez pass him, said to the team, don't ever ask me again. Perez had some choice words for it afterwards. Horner said that they've made up, but it still was at least a public radio communication that these two weren't quite getting along like we thought. And now you've got this situation where Perez was a little irked that Verstappen went and got the fastest lap when he he was believing that both were going to be driving to a certain pace at the end just so he could squeeze that extra point. Is there a dynamic problem? Now, Horner's a master at PR, right? I mean, he's a master at saying, no, 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 nothing to see here. Drivers are good. But the reality is there is something there. It's not nothing. It's There's a something there. So we're going to see how it plays out, not only in this Grand Prix, because it might not, but down the road as we get more and more races clicking off the calendar If it is close after four, five, six races, we might be really, we might be talking about something. We really might be, but we'll see. And I want to slow it down a little bit because I want to see where Verstappen is going to go this weekend. You know, he's likely to start on pole position and win this thing by a mile, but he's also likely to have maybe Sergio Perez right behind him as he's getting more and more handle of this Red Bull car. But the second thing to watch out for is very popular, and it's it's just been one of the better stories of what's happened so far in the first two races, and that's Fernando Alonso and his great, great start to the season. Two podium finishes for the two-time champion, and while it did take a while for the stewards to sort of work out the whole Jetta penalty, no penalty, Russell gets the podium, no, no, we're sorry, Fernando gets it back, all that mess. Nevertheless, that's what we finish up with. Both races are now in the books, and Alonso has had two podiums. Bahrain and Saudi Arabia and Aston Martin looks incredibly fast. They are separating themselves from Mercedes and Ferrari. They're not quite Red Bull level yet, but there's a set, there's a sort of a, a slot all by themselves as the second best team in Formula One. They're not fighting it out with Mercedes and Ferrari. That could change. But that's not the case right now. Alonso knew exactly what he was doing, moving from Alpine to Aston Martin. Now, he cited the building, the facility, the new wind tunnel, all of the stuff that Lawrence Stroll is putting into this team is the reason he went there. He said all the right things since joining this team. He's praised Lance Stroll. But the proof is in the pudding. This car is strong. It really is. And you can argue that because Red Bull engineers are now working for Aston Martin, that this car looks an awful lot like the RB19. Remember last year, the FIA looked into the accusations that the RB18 was copied by Aston Martin, and they didn't find anything. And Lawrence Stroll is no stranger to this. Pink Mercedes when he was at Racing Point, all of that. But Mike Crack is putting the brakes, as I used earlier, 
on everyone getting too excited, saying just two races, we got a long way to go. This might be diffusing some of the pressure that they're under now to really perform and to see how competitive they're going to be down the road. But I don't think anybody's listening. I think people are expecting this team to be good in Australia, to be good at Imola and Miami and Barcelona and all. I think that this team has set up expectations that no matter where they go, different circuits, the car is going to be better here. It's not going to be as good here. I don't think that matters to a lot of people. I think there's a separation that they've had with the other two that are sort of vying for that P2 spot as we look at Red Bull up here. And right now it's all Aston Martin. So, And the beneficiary of that is Fernando Alonso. And that's, that's really popular among F1 fans around the world. Third thing to watch for this weekend in Albert Park, and that's Mercedes. The news around the team is extremely positive as they go to Melbourne. Now, some of this is PR spin, but some of this is genuine excitement. And I'm buying the second part. I think that they're real when they say they're really optimistic about what car they're bringing in to the Australian Grand Prix. Those first two races were kind of a dud. Yeah, George Russell could have had a podium if that penalty stuck on Fernando Alonso, but he was still five seconds back. Right. And so we're not seeing a Mercedes that is being that upper echelon competitive. Ferrari's having their struggles too, but Mercedes hasn't really wowed or popped either. But man, the optimism right now, I mean, it's thick. You can pour it on pancakes, man. It's it really is. I mean, they were really frustrated in the first two races, but there's a feeling like things are about to change for Mercedes. Could it start in Australia? Yeah, it could start in Australia. So let's pay attention to that. And that's our third thing to watch out for coming up this weekend. Now, the fourth thing to watch out for, and that is Oscar Piastri in the hometown crowd. The Australian Grand Prix is going to feel a little less Australian with Daniel Rick not on the grid. Ricardo out of the 2023 season. He'll make all the appearances for Red Bull and he'll have the smiles and he'll say things to the media, but he's not racing. And Oscar Piastri is. And so the rookie for McLaren, who's had a rough season so far, because McLaren's had a rough season so far, is going to look to do some things in this Grand Prix. Is he going to be in the top 10? I don't know. But he might be taking some overtakes and moving himself up and, and putting on a little bit of a show as best he possibly can, depending on the card that McLaren is going to bring. But this weekend is going to be really high pressure from the standpoint of the time and the commitment. He's going to be swamped. It's, that's what happens to the drivers who go to their home country to race. They're going to be the focus of the local media. They're going to be the focus of their national media. And there's certainly going to be a lot of demand on Piastri's time to make all the appearances and do all the interviews and whatnot. And as a rookie, he's going to be overwhelmed by this, even though he isn't fantastic F2 driver and this is a whole nother league and you can't prepare for it until you're in it until you're in the belly of the beast there's no other level that you can be in in sports until you're there you can be a great minor league baseball player you can do all the media you want in minor leagues but until you get to the majors you don't know what to expect racing is the same way you can be a great Xfinity driver but once you get to NASCAR it's in the cup series it's completely different F1 is no different you can win championships in F2 but when you're finally on the F1 grid, that's when you're going to feel it. And Oscar Piastri is a massive talent, massive talent. And again, there's an excitement for his career and his first 
F1 race in his home country. How does he going to handle the pressure? Logan Sargent's going to feel it when they go to Miami, and Nick DeVries will feel it when they go to the Netherlands, even though it's going to be a lot more max than, than Nick DeVries. But these rookies are really going to feel what it's going to be like to race at their country. And Oscar Piastri is the first one in the batter's box among those three rookies to get that experience. So I like to see how he plays that out this weekend. And then on the track, what does he do? What Can he make a couple of cool overtakes? Can he make people happy with some with his performance? Maybe he runs 12th. Maybe he gets in the points. Who knows? But McLaren is struggling enough that I, I, I have no idea what, what, what car they're going to be bringing into Melbourne. The first two races were just were terrible. And the fifth one, and that's going to be Charles Leclerc. Not necessarily Ferrari, but Charles Leclerc. I know Ferrari has its own issues. But Leclerc, if you go back to the calendar a year ago, after round three in Australia, Charles Leclerc was on top of the sport. And that's the last time we saw him on top of the sport. He had a great weekend last year. Got the fastest lap, got pole position, got the win. He was at a 40-plus point lead over Verstappen. Verstappen was saying it's going to take a lot of work to catch up. And he did. And Leclerc was in the car has never been the same since. And this is a chance for Charles Leclerc to return to a track that he had success. And can he put himself with a good finish back into the conversation of drivers that are looking up to Verstappen and Perez, but they're not looking so far up they need binoculars. And that's where Leclerc is. A DNF and a P7 in the first two races of the year. He's also had a grid penalty That's that in Jeddah where he had to start 12th. He's had some moments this season where he was running in p3 in bahrain until he car just conked out on him and again the grid penalty set him back and he had a little bit of work to do a clean weekend with no issues could go a long way for charles leclerc in a season where he's trying to defend that p2 finish that he had in 2022 so Charles Leclerc, who's the defending champion of this race, what is his weekend going to look like? That's the fifth thing I'm watching for in the Australian Grand Prix. Now, let's get to some track talk about this weekend circuit. Albert Park, they've been running the Grand Prix here since 1996. Now, if you're an old Formula One fan, you remember when they ran at Adelaide. But if you're new to the sport, eh, maybe 25 years, 15 years, maybe two years, the Australian Grand Prix has been run at Albert Park since 1996. It is a street circuit. It was slippery, really slippery, but they've repaved it. That eliminated some of the problems, but they've really, really turned it up this year. There's going to be a fourth DRS zone. They've made some modifications, making one of the corners a little bit more sweeping. So you're going to see a lot of speed. It's one of the fastest tracks that we have on the F1 calendar. Pirelli's going to bring the mid-range tires, the C2 for the hards, the C3 for the mediums, and the C4 for the softs. There's an additional fourth DRS zone this year that's got everybody kind of excited. So you've got the first one, which comes right after turn two. There's a right-hander and then a sweeping left, and then you hit the DRS zone till you get to turn three. The second one comes after turn eight. There's another sweep. It's a huge sweep that goes from right to left. The DRS activation comes right off of the apex coming out of turn number eight. There's another one that comes after turn number 10, and then and there's another one that comes after after turn 14, the final turn of the track right to the start finish line. So four DRS zones are going to be enacted for this race. So like I said, this race is going to be very, very fast. 
And one other note, if you're just into this sort of thing, it's Red Bull Racing's 350th Grand Prix. So a little special note notation for the team that is on top of the Drivers and Constructors Championship. All right, so now it's time to get to top five and bottom five from Saudi Arabia. If you're new to this podcast, whenever we do our preview, we go back to the previous week and we do top five and bottom five. I say this every podcast, so those of you who have listened many times know this. Top five, bottom five can be anything. It can be a team, driver, it can be a circumstance, so we keep it wide open. So after Saudi Arabia, who are the bottom five from that Grand Prix? We're going to start with number five, and that's Charles Leclerc. He did have to start 12th because they did swap out a power unit and he did take a 10-place grid penalty. Nevertheless, he only managed to get up to P7, which I thought was a little disappointing. I'm not saying that his work wasn't cut out for him, but I was a little disappointed in Ferrari overall, but I was a little bit more disappointed in Charles Leclerc. He had started P2. He got a... a he had got a P2 in qualifying, so he only had to go down to 12th. I thought he was going to really pop and, and showcase that car and get it up through the grid, maybe fighting for fourth, maybe fighting even for third, but he really was never a factor up front. I mean, not front like Sergio Perez Verstappen front. I mean, Alonso and Russell and Hamilton and whatnot. So Charles Leclerc is five. It's not that bad, but I was a little disappointed. Four, it's Lance Stroll. He had a DNF. He had to quit. I don't want to blame Stroll, but he, this is it's his. His car, not Aston Martin, so I can't put Aston Martin in the bottom five because one of their cars, you know, you know, didn't finish the Grand Prix. They did get a P3 with Fernando Alonso, so they're sort of out. Sometimes I have to give it to the driver, even if it's not their fault. I give Stroll a ton of credit. He's recovering from this wrist injury from the bike accident. I don't know how in the world he drove that car in Bahrain in the season opener. Um, so he was still feeling a little bit of the effects in Saudi Arabia. He's all better now. So you got to take the good with the bad sometimes, and sometimes you're the driver and you make something out of the car, and sometimes you are the you know unfortunate recipient of a bad car and in Stroll's case a DNF and that was it. Valtteri Bottas didn't have a very good run at Saudi Arabia either and the Alfa Romeo driver is third. He had a really good showing in Bahrain, got the car in the points. He always does good in Bahrain when he was with Williams, when he was with Mercedes obviously. So maybe this wasn't his day, wasn't his circuit. The team was kind of disappointed even with Joe Guan Yu's finish. They just didn't really like their weekend. So Valtteri Bottas who finished 17th is third on the bottom five for Saudi Arabia. Number two, and this is where I'm giving the stewards and the FIA. I thought what they did at the end of this Grand Prix was a complete disaster. Now, don't get me wrong. We live in a different world with motor racing than we do other sports. I was talking about this in the review of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix saying, look, what you want in sports, and I've covered sports for 30 years, what you want in sports is a sense of there, there's the final book, right? So you go to a basketball game, and the game is over when it's over. And all of the blemishes that are within the game are in the book. So when the final statistics come out, when you get what they call the book, which is all the stats, it's over. You can't go back. You can't change it. You may protest it if you're a coach, but the reality of it is when you leave the arena, the game is in the books. And that's not the case in motorsports. It just isn't. There's no reality where you can finish a Grand Prix or finish a NASCAR race or an IndyCar race and have the result in the book because there's post-race inspections and there are things that are going to pop up that require the attention. But I think in this case, there's got to be a better way to streamline this so that we're not up at one o'clock in the morning, you know, local time of the race, figuring out who came in third, right? And I think that Alonzo's criticism of this process is correct. Now, as many of you know, 
that the FIA is dealing with all sorts of infractions that they've got to review. All right. So there's all sorts of track limit issues and who made contact here. And and this goes all the way down the grid. So they take them in as they go and they've got to review it because they're trying to, again, be honest about the end result. So even if you're changing 13 to 14 or 14 to 13, that matters to them when it comes in as you would a podium finish. So there's a lot on their plate. They're processing a lot. But I don't think this was handled very well. I mean, Alonzo was, you know, they were trying to clear Alonzo of this penalty or to see whether or not he had a penalty because he, remember, he started just off the box at the start of the Grand Prix, just off the starting box. So he was given a five-second penalty. And then there was a thought that there was a jack that was underneath the car when he was serving that five-second penalty, which was resulted in a 10-second penalty at the end. He wasn't going to come in to serve it. So... There was an initial thought that it was going to be five seconds. So Russell was really trying to get within that five second window. But remember, there was a little bit of confusion because Mercedes was saying, well, he already served that. And I do think that the team kind of found out later that, wait, no, no, there might be another one coming. So he got within the window of the penalty. But then it was and then it was, yeah, we're, we're, he's got to serve the penalty. So you got to add 10 seconds onto the final race. George Russell is on the podium. He finishes third after the celebration. And then later on, after they kind of appealed it, they said, oh, you know what? Yeah, no, no penalty. Is there a way to make this a little easier? Is, this, is there a way to make this streamline? Again, I understand motorsports. Believe me, I've been to many NASCAR events and IndyCar events where the thing wasn't over until it was over later. But the reality of it is it just was a terrible look. It was a terrible look to see Fernando Alonso on the podium celebrating. And then he didn't get the third place finish. And then he got the third place finish back. I think it's the second part that bothers people. It's like, I, I, you know, it just took so long to sort this out when it seemed pretty simple. Like you could watch it and see for yourself. You didn't have to drag it out as long as they did. And the number one on the bottom five is McLaren. Zach Brown and that team have got to figure out what they're going to do in Melbourne to get the spirits up for this team. Oscar Piastri left Alpine to join this team. Lando Norris signed a long-term deal to be part of this team, and neither one of them are in a competitive card this season. I mean, the only excitement in Jetta was Piastri making a move on Norris in back of the pack, no less. They're not, they're not in good shapes right now. They, they remember last year, they fought Alpine all season long and it was a battle for P four in the constructors race. And it just, this season so far is definitely not with either one of these guys. And these guys are mega talents, mega talents. I mean, they're not they're not guys that are buying rides that stink or these guys are mega talents. And I'm sure that the frustration of this team has been reaching the last two weeks before they gear up for Melbourne. As I mentioned in the things to watch out for, I'm hoping there's a good enough car underneath Oscar Piastri that he can have he can put himself on a little bit of a show in front of the hometown crowd. All right. So let's get to the top five. And this was pretty easy because there were a lot of good performances in Saudi Arabia. Number five was George Russell. Um, You know, Mercedes has got some issues, but Russell did try to get that within the window of a possible pen. 
penalty with Fernando Alonso, one that didn't play out. So even though he didn't get the P3 at the end, he had it for a brief period of time because he didn't let, he, he felt like he could hold off Hamilton, who may have had the faster car at one point, and he stayed out and gave Fernando Alonso a little bit of a run. But in the end, he got, he got, up there for Mercedes and there was a possible podium for Mercedes with all the trouble that they've had. Russell was the one that kind of kept that car up front. So I give him one of the top spots in the top five and that is number five, number four, Max Verstappen. And this may be a little surprising, but hear, hear me out on this. Look, Verstappen, I have to grade a little differently. I could put him at one or two all the time. Sometimes I've got to sort of look at other people's performances based on what they have. And I'm not handicapping Verstappen because he's the RB19 is so great. This one was a little bit of both. Verstappen had to, he started 15th, had problems in Q2, made up for it, of course. He has the faster car. He couldn't catch for uh, Sergio Perez. He snuck his way into the fastest lap when he thought that, when, when again, they thought that they were going to be running at pace, but he got it. So I appreciate Verstappen's competitiveness to say at the end, yeah, no, no, it matters to me, guys. I'm, I'm getting this. So Verstappen could be two, but I like the other guys in front of him a lot better. So I'm giving Max the fourth spot in the top five. Number three, Kevin Magnuson. Good move at the end to get that team in the point and to get that team a point for Haas. So I give K-Mag three. You know, was just kind of hovering around and had an opportunity and took advantage of some attrition and was able to get Haas a point. There was a pretty good weekend for, for Haas in that regard. Number two, it's Fernando Alonso. Again, another solid week for him, a P3 finish. Yeah, there was controversy at the end where he had the P3, then he didn't have the P3, then he had the P3 again. But Alonso once again showing why the move to Aston Martin is working because the car is strong. He's a strong driver. He's a world champion. And it was a podium finish for the second straight week to start the season for Fernando Alonso. And just to wrap up the top five, Sergio Perez, start from pole position, had lost it with a with a poor start, and Alonso took the lead early in the race. But when Sergio got it back, that Grand Prix was his. That was a dominating performance. Yes, he did not have Max Verstappen breathing down his neck all race long. He he dominated the way you want to drive that car. And yep, you take advantage of your circumstances. That is not new to racing. You know, if your nearest competitor is miles back because he had to start from back of the grid, that's not on you. You perform the way you perform. And Sergio Perez is showing the world he's got a handle on a car that is built for Verstappen. But now he's finding a way to get the most out of that car. And this weekend was one of his best wins. The secure Grand Prix victory that he had to, to, to get his first victory uh, a couple of years ago when he was with Racing Point. That was in 2020. I love that win because he's, he ended up at one point last and came up to the front. But the domination that he had for this victory, it was I think it was his best run. I think it was his best win. And he's got a lot of good ones. But he's the master of the street circuits. And Sergio Perez is top on the top five. Okay, so that is our Australian Grand Prix preview. Next week, we will have a review of the Australian Grand Prix. So I appreciate you downloading the podcast and listening to it. Please, again, leave us a five-star review. If you'd like to get a hold of me, on, I'm on Twitter, at Tony D Radio. Um, and also, 
you can hit us up on Facebook, the Overtake F1 Podcast. You can find us there, like the page. Uh, we try to keep you up to date with news and whatnot, what's going on in Formula One. So again, share the share the podcast with friends that you may think like it, especially if you're new to the world of Formula One. Thanks again. I'm Tony Desiri. Enjoy the Australian Grand Prix, especially if you're in the U.S. and staying up late Saturday night to watch it right after the Final Four in Houston. All right, I'll see you next week for the review of this Grand Prix. I'm Tony Desiri, the Overtake F1 Podcast. Podcast.